Good morning. Worship was amazing. Thank you so much, team, for leading us. Give them a hand as they go. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. Praise you, praise you. Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be in James chapter 2 this morning. James chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. We are doing a short little series in the book of James, and, uh, and we're going to be moving quick. Uh, we're going to be basically covering a chapter at a time over the next several weeks, and because of that, we won't be able to get to every nuance in the book of James, and so I'm sorry about that. But if you want to go deeper in the book of James, and you're like, hey, I just want to... I, there's parts I want to glean a little bit more. Um, I'm going to give you a, a recommended resource. I'll have a picture of it next week. Uh, but there's a commentary by, um, by Dr. Moo that is extremely good on this. So if you're like, hey, Kevin, how do I, where do you get the resources, the background knowledge, all the details about Scripture? It's not a secret. You can buy it. Amazon is a gift to the world. And they have tons of great commentaries on there. One of them is by Dr. Moo. Um, and so if you look up James, a James Commentary by Moose, by Pillar Commentaries, it's a great resource. It's one of the resources I'm using as I study personally. But James chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to cover just the first 13 verses of this particular uh, passage. It says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, um, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those that are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme in the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted of the law as a transgressor. For the one who keeps the whole law but fails at one point has been guilty of all of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the book of James. Um, not because it's easy to read or easy to hear, but because you speak clearly through it into how we are supposed to live. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would open up our hearts, that we would be people that rightly see how you see the world, that we would rightly judge the world how you judge the world, and not in, in a way that's, that's self-serving, that puts people down. Lord, I pray that we would be people that live lives like you want us to live so that we can do the things in this world that you are calling us to do. And Lord, we can't do that by willpower, we can't do that by uh, a, a resilience to try to live better. We can only do it by the power of your spirit. So we're asking, Lord, send your spirit. Change us to be men and women that, that love the things that you love so that we can do the things you're asking us to do. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I came across an article recently, and it reminded me of a series of jokes in the early 2000s that I personally thought were hilarious. And so I'm going to bring you back, uh, for those of you who were alive during that time, a, a trip down memory lane. 
uh, back to the early 2000s. Uh, for those of you who are unaware of the early 2000s, it was a great time period. Um, and there was jokes about Chuck Norris. And, and Chuck Norris in particular, if you don't know who Chuck Norris was, uh, he was uh, a... a <laughs> a martial arts star in movies in the 70s and 80s and a TV series in the 90s called Walker, Texas Ranger, a phenomenal human being. But they made a a bunch of jokes about him um, and his life. And some of those jokes went like this. Uh, Chuck Norris doesn't read books. He stares them down until he gets the information he wants. Time waits for no man unless that man is Chuck Norris. If you spell Chuck Norris in Scrabble, you win forever. Right? And so you have all of these like, ridiculous jokes about Chuck Norris. And my, my favorite joke in particular about Chuck Norris is this. Um, it says when, when Chuck Norris falls into water, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. And I, I loved that joke because it's, it's, it's absolutely absurd, right? Because as soon as you jump in, you know you're going to get wet. But the idea that the water gets Chuck Norris, I just, when the first time I heard that, as a seventh grade boy telling me this joke, I was like, that is amazing. I'll remember that forever. And, 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 and it communicates a simple principle, and it's this. When you jump in to water, it should affect you, right? That's the simple joke. And the irony is that it didn't with Chuck, right? So, but but the, the truth is this. When you jump in, it's going to affect you. So summer's coming. And if you've got kids, you know you're going to spend time at the pool. I have four young children, and we will go to the pool. Now, when my kids were younger, the pool was a terrifying place because you didn't know if they were going to drown or survive this experience. And so uh, you're like on, you know, watching out, making sure everyone's going to survive. But as your kids get older, your pool experience changes, and so at this point, my kids love to just jump in, dive in. Daddy, watch me do a cannonball. You know, like, so they just go crazy in the pool. And you know, if you're walking anywhere in the pool vicinity, you should expect to not stay dry. In fact, your kids, their desire is to make you wet. Like, as soon as you're near it, they're going to be like, check this out, and they're going to splash you on purpose. I remember one time I was, I was, I was just kind of in that, that transition period of where my kids were at in their life, and I'm trying to read on my iPad in the pool, and they're like, check it out, water gun, splash. If you're, and I'm like, oh no, we've entered this new world of like, if, if you're near the pool and your kids are at that age, like eight to 10 years old, you know you're just gonna get flooded with water. And the principle is this, when you're near water, expect to get wet. When you jump in, it's going to get you wet and get everyone else wet around you. Now, why do I start there? For this simple reason, we're studying the book of James. And James is gonna argue in a way that, that communicates this point. It's like when you jump into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it should affect everything about you. When you get in, there is no part that's left unaffected. When you come to faith in Christ alone, it impacts every part of your body. You can't expect to stay dry from the work of Christ in you. It should impact every area of life. And this is how the Bible is going to argue. It's going to argue from identity to activity, from essence to action. This is who you are on the inside. If you've come to faith in Christ, that means there's been a radical transition that's affected your heart. It means you put your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. And that truth, that reality, when the spirit of God lives in you, it begins changing you from the inside out. And it should impact everything else that you do. You can't walk away from that unchanged. Who you are changes what you do. 
And that's what um, AK talked about last week. He says, when you encounter trials, the reason you can walk through trials with confidence is because you know you have a God who loves you. He also talks about it this way in, in James 1, verses 22 through 24. He says this, be hearers of the word, but not be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, and when he walks away, he forgets what he was like. He says, here's the, here's the deal. When you come to faith in Christ, it's like looking into a mirror. And the mirror reveals what's really there. And the mirror is meant to reflect you and to change you. And so he's saying, approach faith like, like a woman approaching a mirror. Now, as a man, as you generally approach the mirror, as you walk in front of it, you go, huh, it's a good thing to get. You kind of walk on, right? But how does a woman approach a mirror? She approaches the mirror with the expectation of change, right? She walks into it, she's going to dial that up and I fix that, and and she's going to walk away better than when she walked in because there's an expectation of change. And that's how James is going to argue. When you come to Christ, he's going to reveal things in you and that should ignite a change within you. You should look different when you walk away. And what James is going to do is apply that principle to several areas of life. In particular today, he's going to apply it to the area of partiality, favoritism, how we view other people. He says, if you have been changed, that should change how you view others. If you've come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, when you go into the world, it shapes how you treat them. And so he's going to talk about it in terms of an example. And he gives, the way he argues is this. He gives a premise. He gives an example and then gives us three reasons why favoritism is incompatible with a Christian faith. So he gives us the premise, which is this. Our faith is incompatible with favoritism. He gives an example of playing favorites. And then he gives us three reasons why favoritism is incompatible with following Christ. So the first point is this. That our faith, the premise, is incompatible with playing favorites. Our faith in Christ is not compatible with any sort of favoritism. He, reads, he says it this way in verse one. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He says, I want, here's the premise. Know that if you've put your faith in Christ alone, it should impact how you treat others. Favoritism and faith in Christ, are, are, they should not go hand in hand. They should be separate. He starts out this, because uh, he's going to get scathing here in a little bit. He's going he's to turn up the temperature on us, so just get ready. Um, it'll hurt. Um, but he starts by saying this, my brothers. And the, the reason he starts there is because he says this is a family affair. When you come to Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been brought into the family of God. You've been brought into the community. So he's saying, first of all, look, this is, this is a family affair. So he says, hey, my brothers, listen up. My boys, listen up. When you put your faith in Christ, he says this, don't hold your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ with partiality. That word hold your faith could mean to possess or own or to to grasp with the hand. He's saying, look, if you're holding on to faith in Christ, you can't at the same time hold on to something else. It's like you're climbing up um, uh, like a rock. 
It's like if you're climbing up a rock, don't be gripping other things. That's gonna pull you off the rock. Just hold on to the rock. Hold on to this. And if you hold on to this, you can move forward. But as soon as you start trying to grip other things, you're gonna fall off. So don't hold your faith in Christ and something else. He's saying, I want you to hold your faith. And he uses an interesting word. He says, the, the Lord of glory the, or the glorious one. And essentially, it could be used as a title, like, like Jesus Christ, the glorious one, but actually, most commentators believe he separated that word out purposely because he's making a point. He's saying there's only one glorious one in this whole situation. There's only one who's glorious. Now, that word glorious can mean weighty or beautiful or significant, of significant substance. He's like, there's only one glorious one that we're looking towards, and we don't look at anything else to have that kind of glory. He's saying if, if you have put your faith in Christ, he should consume your thoughts and mind and actions. He is glorious. And as we look at everything else, we don't assign lesser glory to them. He is the glorious one. There's a reason he's pulling that word out. He says, so I don't want you to hold your faith with partiality. I want you to focus on the glory of Christ and not look at anyone else on negative reasons. And he uses this word partiality. And the word for partiality basically means this, to receive the face, meaning to look at the surface, to look at situations only at the surface level. He says, if you have a faith in Jesus Christ, it means this, that we don't merely receive the face of something. That means we look beyond the external. We have to look beyond what's on the surface. He says, I don't want you to play favorites, meaning I don't want you to just look at the surface and make a judgment call. I don't want you to see the exterior and make a case for why you're right and why this person or these people are wrong for whatever reason. But the problem is this, we all do this. We all look at the surface and make judgment calls. We all assume that we're right in a moment. I remember when I was, um, I, I went to the University of Texas. One of you went there. <laughs> and and my, my Aggie friends, okay? And then, and then I moved to College Station, right? And what was so funny when I moved there, at the time, um, I had long hair. I know, take it by faith, uh, there was... <laughs> There's some photos at one point in time, and you'll read, eventually you'll get there. I had long hair at the time, and so I had long hair, and I was from Austin, and I went to Aggieland, which, which was a cultural shift. And so as soon as I walked in there, there was assumptions that everyone had about me. Like, you're a backwards hippie. Like, that was the standard. Like, you have long hair, you're from Austin, looks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you are that, right? And so there was all of these things. And so I remember having conversations with people like, well, don't you believe this, this, and this? And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't believe anything, but you're from Austin and you have long hair. Like those two things mean all of this. And I'm like, I'm like, no. And we do that all the time. We do it with accents, right? So if someone has like a, a long Southern draw, we're like, oh, that's a good old boy, right? He's like this. And if they kind of talk fast and nasally, they're like, oh, you're from New York. I hate you. You know, like you got that deal, right? And a tomball, like, you, hey, you got it, right? Like, th there's a thing, like, if you're coming from California, or you're moving from California, and you move to this place, you're like, oh, I hope you don't take over my town. And if you move from another place, you're like, I hope you don't, like, you have this thing, right? As soon as you're from this place, I see something on the surface, and so I make a judgment call on you. I talked to someone uh, re visiting recently, he's from um, New Zealand, and I'm like, oh, you love hobbits, you know? Like, there's this assumption, 
that as soon as I see what's on the surface, I know something more about you. And here's what, here's what, what James is saying. He says, as soon as you play favorites, as soon as you look at the surface and you make judgment calls, there's a problem with that. That's incompatible with faith in Christ. When you start, start painting people with a certain color because of something you see on the surface, that's incompatible with your faith in Christ. He is the glorious one. We don't make those kind of judgment calls. And then he gives an example. And he gives a, a, an example that's meant to, it, it, it's set up like an if-then statement. Hey, if this happens, then this. If is in verse two, then is in verse four. And, and it's supposed to be just an example, but as he's describing the example, he's like, hey, this happens all the time. So what he's going to describe is, is a hypothetical situation, but at the same time, it's a hypothetical situation that plays out all the time. He says this, For for a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembling, and a poor man in shabby clothes comes in also, and if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing saying, hey, sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's saying an if-then statement. If, if a person wearing, and he describes two men that walk into a room. He says they walk into your assembly. And so that word assembly is the, the, the word synagogue in Greek. So it's basically the, the church service. He says two people walk into church. They walk into your community group. They walk into your house. He's, he's using something very personal. He's not saying just in the public sphere. He's saying two people walk in to your intimate life, your church, your community group, your home, your assembly of your people. And he says, there's a response that happens. You look at the exterior and you see one man, he describes him. He's wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. It's interesting when you look at those words in the Greek, a gold ring is, is, is like a, a shiny um, wealth showing ring. And then he says, and fine clothes. Basically, that, that word is for shiny clothing. So he are walking in with a guy that's just blinged out, right? He's got a gold-wearing ring. He's got like a sweet suit. He looks good. He walks in. He's got power, prestige. He looks good on the outside. You're like, whoa, that person's working it. They're probably successful. They're probably wealthy. He's got a sweet ring. He's got a sweet suit. Did you see that dude's car? Like, he's got all of these things that scream to you success, mover, shaker, someone you want to get to know because this person, if you're just next to them, they'll elevate your social status. They're so cool with what they have. He says there's one person that walks in and they just look shiny. And then there's a poor man. That poor, that word could mean destitute. Or, and then he describes his clothing. It's the words for shabby or dirty or filthy, it's, it's, it's they smell bad. He says there's two people that walk in, one looks shiny, the other one looks shabby. And how do you respond? When these two people walk into your midst, how do you act? And listen, we've all been on moments like this. When there's someone that walks into our company and only on the exterior we're making a judgment call, so there's someone that walks in with a, with a nice car that looks attractive, that smells good. How do we move towards that person? 
And there's another person that walks in and they're unattractive and they're unimpressive and maybe they smell a little funny. I had this roommate, right? So maybe you're, you're on that. What's your response? He says the response is, is interesting. He says to one, you pay special attention, verse three. You walk up and you're like, hey, why don't, why don't you come here? And why don't you have the good seat? Like, hey, there's a seat right up front or, or here, there's, there's, a, there's a nice chair that you should sit in. You should totally sit in the lazy boy. Like, you bring them in and you place them in the seat of honor. That's the point that he's making. He's like, one person comes in, he's like, man, you look shiny, you look put together, and you put them in a place of honor. And the second person walks in and you're like, you know what, you can go stand over there or you can sit underneath my footstool. A footstool was, was, was low to the ground. I mean, you couldn't even, it was so low. I mean, basically, like, you can sit under me. You're like, I don't care where you go. He says, two people walk in, you look at the externals, and you have a reaction. And he gives a diagnosis, he gives a conclusion of that statement. He says, have you not made distinctions? Have you, have you not valued one over the other? Have you not made one superior or preferable to you over the other? And he says, you're making distinctions, you're making judgments. And he says, here's the problem with your judgment. You're judging with evil thoughts. You're judging and your thoughts do not reflect the, the mind of God. That word evil thoughts uh, could mean sickly. It's like, it's, it's like a sickly eye. It means your eye doesn't see correctly. And because you don't see correctly, you're making decisions that are incorrect. He says your eye is evil, it's sickly, it's diseased, it's not seeing correctly. And so you've made a decision, you made a distinction on this person. He says, here's the problem with that. And we all do this. He says, there's three misses that we have. There's three problems when we play favorites. He says, the first problem is this, that we miss the movement of God. Look verse, um, chapter two, verse five. He says, listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? He says, first part in this statement, you gotta know this, that God moves towards the poor. God loves the, the lowly of the world. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you powerful. Not many of you of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that human beings might boast, so no human will boast in the presence of God. He's saying God chose weak things for his greater glory so that no one will boast in their own strength. Leviticus 19 says it this way, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. All throughout the Bible, there's this desire that God moves towards the lowly. God moves towards the weak. And he says, when you're, when you're moving away from them, that's a problem because you're moving in the opposite direction of God. Proverbs 22, 22 says this, do not exploit the poor because they are poor. And do not crush the needy in court 
For the Lord will take up their cause and will exact life for life. Luke 14, 12. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back so that you may be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. James says, first of all, the reason we don't make these distinctions is because that means we're moving in the opposite direction of God. God moves moves toward the weak, the lowly, the poor. That's in the heart of God. And if we're moving away from that, that just means we're moving away from the things that God is moving towards. And secondly, he says, God's made them heirs of the kingdom, right? God says he's made them rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom. He says, these people at this snapshot in time may look poor. They may not look like they have all the shine, but, but that's in this snapshot of time. You don't know the eternal destiny. And I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. He says this, you've never stood by a mere mortal. Everyone you've, you stand next to is either in an eternal splendor Every person you sit next to is someone that will go on toward eternity, will last for eternity. We don't pass by mere mortals. And so when we treat them poorly, he's saying, God has made some of these people heirs of the kingdom. They are saved and they'll be wealthy in heaven. And you're making decisions on this snapshot. That's not what God does. And he says that they love God. He has promised to those who love him. Some of these poor people, they love Jesus Christ. And God moves toward these people. If we don't move towards them, we're moving the opposite direction of God. And the second reason is this. If we don't move towards the direction God is moving, it also reveals a second piece, that we've misplaced our confidence in God. Verse six. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have called? He says, here's the problem. You've you've dishonored the poor man. You've given honor to someone else. And then he has all these questions. He says, are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Are not the the wealthy ones the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of your God? He says, says, you're moving away from them and you're moving toward this other group of people. And this other group of people, they don't even love the God that you love. Like they're, they're, they're blaspheming God, they're speaking poorly, they're dishonoring, you're dishonoring other people in this process. That's not right. And, and, and what he's describing is every high school movie from the 80s and 90s. He is. So I, I went back uh, through the, 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 the memory banks and I was like, okay, there's the movie from the 80s. So some of you that survived the 80s, here's, here's your movie. It's Can't Buy Me Love, Right? You got this dorky kid, there's a cute girl, he wants to be popular, so what does he do? He gets his cash together, and instead of buying a telescope that he wanted to buy, he buys this girl an outfit that she had ruined from her mom, he gives her the money, he says, look, I'm gonna give you this money, but all I need you to do is be next to me and make me cool. And so the whole movie plays out. He pays her money, she fluffs up his hair, gives him a new outfit, and all of a sudden he's cool, he's shiny, he's on the in crowd until it is revealed at the end of it, hey, you just bought your way into this. 
And he abandoned all of his friends, all of his kind of nerdy friends that were good to him and kind of moved his way to this cool crowd. And the whole movie, you're just watching bad decision after bad decision because you, you threw away what you had for chasing this other end. So the movie She's All That in the 90s. Anyone from the 90s remember She's All That? Probably not. It's the same deal. Okay, one. It's a girl. She's not all that cute. Kind of the ugly duckling story. Cool guy comes around, gives her a makeover. She's amazing. And then all of a sudden, she has all these popular people that want to be her friend. Oh my gosh, it's so great. It's the same storyline that's playing on over and over and over again. I want to get the shine so that I'll be seen as significant. And what's funny about it is that in the first century, James is saying, look, everyone does this. And it's that same silly storyline that plays out in all of our movies. There's probably some TikTok video that plays out this same thing. So if you're like 15, you're like, oh yeah, TikTok. It's doing the same thing. As soon as I'm shiny, I'm significant. As soon as, I'm worth, as, soon as someone says, I'm good, I, I'm suddenly elevated. And what James is saying is this, the reason you do that, he's asking kind of hypothetical questions, or, or, but, he, but there's really an answer to it. He says, why do we do that? Why do we try to rub up against successful people to raise our status? Why do we do it? It's because at the end of the day, we don't trust God. We trust their shine to shine off on us. We trust their significance to make us significance. And at the end of the day, we're not trusting God with our lives. God says the same thing to the the nation of Israel. In Isaiah 31, he says this, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses or trust in chariots because they are many and their horsemen because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. See, everyone does this. I wanna go to someone that looks strong, that looks put together, and once I, I nuzzle up alongside, I will be significant because I got near them. And what that means is you're not putting your faith in Christ, you're putting it in something he created. And he says, you're, you're, not only are you moving in the opposite direction of God, secondly, your faith is in what you can produce or what they can give you, not in the God of creation. You're moving the opposite direction of God and you're moving to things that will never ultimately give you what you want. And God speaks over and over again. That's, we don't trust in those things. We don't trust in the power of man. We trust in the power of God. And the third reason it's a problem is this, that favoritism is incompatible with the love of God. Playing favorites is incompatible with the love of God. He describes it this way, verse eight. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, meaning you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and we are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the law but falls at one point has become guilty of it all. For he says, for he who says do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a law transgressors, so speak and so act of those who are under the law of liberty. He says this, the royal law of God is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the superior law, that we love God and we love people. God is a loving 
God and he comes into your life to change how you interact, how you live because he loves you when you were at your lowest. He always moves to the downtrodden and listen, everyone here is unlovable but God came to you, me too. God didn't come to me because I had any significance in myself. He came to me because he knew I needed saving and so do you. He moves to the brokenhearted and so he moves to the lowly like you, like me, like them. That's what his love is like and and he calls us to live by the law of freedom. It's not a law that you have to obey these things to receive the smile of God. It means I've received forgiveness of sins, God who loves the unlovable like me. And because God is a God who loves the unlovable like me, I move and love others. But if I try, if I try to pick and choose what parts of God I wanna obey, I become a transgressor. Because the same God that says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself, also said don't murder or don't commit adultery. He's like, you can't do one of those and be like, I'm fine. You can't not love your neighbor and not commit adultery and be good. You must love your neighbor and don't do those other things, right? Do both. He's saying you can't pick and choose. The illustration I would give it to you is like this. Um, uh, if, if you're a high school kid and your mom comes to you and says, hey, Jimmy, will you go mow the lawn? And you say, no! And your mom says, um, okay. Instead of yelling back, because you're like a sanctified mom, you're gonna be like, okay, uh, why not? And, you're, and if you respond, because I took out the trash yesterday, what would your mom say to you? Wait till your father gets home. We're all going to beat you together. It'll be a family affair. (laughs) Why does the fact that you took out the trash have nothing to do with you mowing the lawn and obeying your mom right now? It has nothing to do with it because this is about relationship and you've hurt a person, right? See, the law of God reflects the character of God. He says the character of God, I love these people. And if you disrespect me here, but obey me over there, you've just still disrespected me. And just because you took out the trash but didn't mow the lawn doesn't mean like, well, I'm fine. I've got like, you know, 50% is pretty good. Like, like, no, no, no. You've disrespected a person. The same can be true with husbands and wives. If your wife comes to you and says, well, you take out the trash. And you go, no, I did the dishes yesterday. She'd be like, oh, oh man. I hope you want to live somewhere else today. You know, like she would move in. And it's not because of the issue. It's not because of the issue. It's because the issue reflects a heart that is hard toward a person. The issue reflects my heart is hard towards you. So when you ask me something, I'm like, I don't really care about that thing. What it shows is that your heart isn't soft towards that person. And when we reject part of what God asks us to do, what it shows is I have a hardness of my heart. And I'm not coming to the feet of Jesus I'm not receiving the love of Jesus that's changing me so that I can love them. I'm hardening myself against the command of God. And God says, that's the ultimate issue. When we look at the world, he says, I want you to see the world like I see the world. I want you to see people like I see people. 
I want you to move towards the lowly. So I want to give you three applications as we close. The first is this, to pray. Say, Lord, where am I missing? What people am I playing favorites with? Lord, will you reveal that to me? And will you forgive me for playing favorites? Secondly, I would encourage you to step out. Not just stay with you, but actually step out of your comfort zone in some ways. Um, We have an amazing outreach ministry that Josh referred to. He's the pastor over outreach ministry. And there are several opportunities that you can engage in so that you actually have to interact with people that are not like you. One of those is our ministry towards teen. A second one would be uh, we're doing some apartment ministry um, on Cherry Street. And, And let me describe what this looks like. As believers, um, sometimes we can hold someone at an arm's distance. What we can do is say, I'm coming to help you for this moment, and then I'll walk away and go do my thing. And that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about moving towards people that are unlike you, that are in the mix. He's saying, you want to move towards people that are not like you, and you put your arms around them, and you bring them as part of the family. It's not that we go serve as a charity case. It means this is a person in the image of God who deserves the love of God, and so we move towards them with open arms of love, and we don't say, I'm going to serve you, check you out later. We say, I'm actually going to come and invest in you because you're worth my time. That's a totally different perspective. So some of you, it's going to be praying. Some of you, it's going to be stepping out, maybe with us. And the third way, maybe, for you is just to break the barrier. Just to break the barrier. There's some barrier in your heart and in my heart and in my mind that's stopping me from reaching people that are not like me. It may be race. It may be socioeconomic. It may be political. It may may be because they went to UT. Whatever it is. There's some barrier that's stopping us from moving towards those people that God loves and loves God. And I would just encourage you to say, you know what? Maybe God's saying to you, I'm going to break that barrier. I'm going to cross that street. I'm going to cross those tracks. And I'm not going to do it because... They need me. It's because God loves me and he's called me to love them, whoever them are. And because the love of God has changed me, it means that I can't stay stagnant. I move to love them. And when the people of God start looking like Jesus Christ in this way, let me tell you what, the world stops and stares because they're amazed to see People break the barriers, move in, and love with the love of Christ. That's what the world needs to see. We have an opportunity to respond in prayer. And for some of you, there's there's conviction that you're feeling, and uh, my, my goal is not to beat us for Jesus. That's not the goal. We've all fallen here. I've done my own wrestling with the Lord over the week on these things. 
But maybe it's just to come and pray. Maybe it's, maybe it's for, for healing for you personally. Maybe there's, there's a, a thought that's off on you. We want to pray alongside you. Maybe it's for physical healing. Some of you with, with any sort of ailment, we want to pray for you because we believe that God moves through the power of prayer. Or maybe there's a broken relationship. There's a barrier that you're, that's too hard for you to cross. And so we want to pray alongside you for that. Or maybe it's just simply this. You want God to move so that you see like God sees. Beyond the surface, but it really sees like God sees. Our prayer team's here. We want to pray alongside you that God will be working in your midst. We're going to have a song and our prayer response time, and then we're going to have a closing with our seniors after this. But just maybe just bow your head as the band comes up. I just ask the Lord, what do you want to challenge me with today, Lord? Where am I not seeing like you see? What are the barriers to my own faith? Where am I not allowing you, Jesus, to change me? Lord, I lift up each person here to you that you would move in their hearts and minds, reveal to them what they need to see so that you can make all of us more like your son and we can live a life more honoring of you. And if anyone here has not put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, I pray that we would not try to move out to live better. We would receive the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And from that place, we would then move to live like Jesus Christ. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.